Hey there, nature lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. Thanks so much for listening and joining us for season three. In celebration of season three and our hashtag Pride Month, we are doing a whole new merch code for our merch store. So go to our merch store at thebirdiebunchpodcast.com and use the code PRIDE, P-R-I-D-E, for 15% off. With that out of the way, let's get into season three. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Birdie Bunch podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, fascination. My name is CJ, and I'm joined by my two good friends and co-hosts. I'm Brittany. And I'm Matt. And we're back. It's season three. How are you feeling? How was our break? So I will be honest. The break could have been a little bit better. Uh... Oh, no. Um, I was actually in, to be completely honest with all of you listeners, I was in a pretty major car crash, um, but I'm okay, and the reason I'm reporting that is because, I don't know, word spreads, and I don't want anyone to be like, whoa, Matt was in a car crash, why didn't he tell me? So you all will know now. So yeah, that was how I spent my break. Um, been, been wonderful. Well, we're just glad that you're okay, Matthew. We're just glad yeah. that you're okay. That was that was the main goal to be okay, and that happened. So that was good. There was, I will say, I um did go to the hospital for like uh, like preventative measures, but there was I'm I am okay. Like to fully report, no, I walked away, no bodily harm. Very lucky. So I'm very fortunate. Well, we're also very fortunate that you are okay because now you're here for season three. So, so glad that you could be here with us, Matthew. Brittany, how are you? How was the break? My my break was less traumatic than than Matt's. Um, yeah, same. I got I got a cat. <laughs> um, but Brittany, I thought you already had a cat. No, I have two cats. Um, this little, little kitty, uh, was a stray and I did the responsible thing and made sure I posted, made sure he wasn't anybody's got him scanned, all of that good stuff and waited a while. Um, but no one came to claim him and now, now he's mine. His name is Loki. He's got really beautiful green eyes and, and yeah, so we got a cat. His name is Loki. Uh, Stay tuned on Instagram for those photos because there's going to be a lot. I love that. I love that. Over the break, I uh, took a little trip to South Carolina and Georgia. So I went to South Carolina to celebrate a wedding for one of my friends. Did that. Did some birding while I was out there. And then while I was down there, I was like, I'm pretty close to Atlanta. We, we just talked about wild Atlanta here on the podcast. So I went to go visit Atlanta. And met up with a good friend of the podcast, Gabe Anderley. So hello, Gabe. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Birdie Bunch podcast. And thanks for going herping with me. We saw lots of really cool stuff, which I will be posting on my Instagram, which we plugged later. But before we get into any of that, let's jump into our first segment, which is, as per usual, our creature feature. <laughs> Before we dive into the meaty content of our creature feature, 
Can y'all give any non-spoilery spoilers? That didn't really make sense, but that's okay. Any non-spoilery hints? Any non-spoilery spoilers? Yeah, I got you. (laughs) It's like Um, a spoiler, but not spoilery. Like, make it a spoil, but don't spoil it. It's a bird. It's definitely not a bird. It's come definitely on, come on, come on. Come on. It's definitely not a bird. Was I looking at a different episode then? I saw a creature feature. It's a reptile, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it was in our group, Matt, because we are saving the one that's on the dock for a different episode. Okay. Yeah. It, so it was a bird. It was a bird. You're not yeah, It was a bird. The bird will be next week. It was a bird. It's a bird All that right. I saw so, while I was in South this Carolina. This is a, actually. a really non spoilery mm. spoiler then. For next, next week, week, it will be a bird. <laughs> it'll be a bird. It'll be a bird I saw in South Carolina. It's a pretty cool bird. It is a cool bird, but that's not what we're spoiling today. Um, <laughs> it's just about as pretty as that bird, our creature feature for today. It's just about as pretty as that bird. That's fair. Yeah, I can um, get down with that. I can get jiggy with it. Getting jiggy with it. I... I uh, one of my favorite jokes, one of my favorite television shows, is about how uh, a superhero has this a- animal's like most famous power, and so like they joke about the, the joke is that you're expecting, oh, this animal's most favorite and most famous power is its ability to change its color. Then the superhero walks out and he just has like big old claws of this animal, like his hands are just weird grabby hands. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite jokes it's occurring to me that i don't know actually what this creature feature is so let's <laughs> well then so let's spoil it for you matthew yeah. <laughs> it's got weird grabby claws it has weird grabby hands and it's known for changing its color i mean and it's a reptile whoa whoa spoiler alert jeez my no, we god said it. we already said, we it already was a said that we already oh. said it Oh. So geez, Matt. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> I um now I want to guess it. Weird grabby claws. It's a reptile. It also changes color. Is it a chameleon? Come Does on, come on, come color? on, come on, come on. Yes. It is. Do you guys get that? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Chameleon. Thank you. I've made it twice now, and neither one of you was dead silent both times. So I was like, damn, this joke is not hitting. Is that an old person joke? See, have you never heard that song? When was that song made? Yeah. It's an old person joke. It's an old person joke. It's okay. I'll put the song in. It's okay. No one will know. Wait, we need to be able to teach the the youths. Yeah, the youths don't want to be taught. No, we just want want jobs. (laughs) The old people do too. It's not there either. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) So it's a chameleon. Yeah, Uh, specifically the panther chameleon. Oh. So there are um, several different species of chameleon, um, but today's creature features all about the bright beautiful panther chameleon these little little reptiles is surprising because they don't change color with their environment 
So what it actually is, is that they can't change to whatever color they want. Like if you put a bright red background, they can't necessarily just change all the way red unless it's a pigment that they were all they already had. So what how their kind of color changing system works is that they can brighten or mute their color, um, but they can't necessarily just pick whatever color there is on the rainbow and then change themselves fully. So there are different morphs or different um, types of panther chameleons where they have different different colors. For example, um, I work with I work with two panther chameleons and one of them is more a lot more reds and oranges and yellow colorations. Um, and the other one is more blues and greens. And he's got a little bit of red in there as well. But they can um, completely brighten all of those colors, but they can also turn themselves all black. They can turn themselves all white. So it kind of is that awesome, beautiful spectrum of the rainbow. And um, it's just the way that their pigment works. Um, it's a little bit different than what we kind of think about when we think about the commercials, that like that old paint commercial where like they go with each paint and can like change to that color. That's not necessarily how it works. Superhero who got bit by a radioactive chameleon. I have the chameleon's greatest powers and it's his claws. I have the claws of a chameleon. But these little guys uh, don't have a super long lifespan. Though they, they can live to be about five, six years old. Um, they are completely insectivores and they have an amazing long tongue. So they're able to kind of snap that tongue out and grab whatever they're eating. Um, and it's really cool and beautiful to watch. Um, but they're just sometimes the brightest colors of the rainbow. And I felt like that was very fitting for this week. Um, what are y'all's thoughts on the panther chameleon? I think the panther chameleon was a really great choice for a creature feature this week. Um, obviously, as as heard in our non-spoilery discussion, there was a bit of uh, moving around of our creature features just based on some other things. So I'm really glad that you could pick this really awesome creature. You know, I I'm, I just I love a chameleon, and I'm very happy that we got to chat about it today. Yeah, I will say I'm a big fan of a um a panther chameleon. I think they really like really look cool. It's not a bird, obviously, uh, but I wasn't that far off because reptile or birds are reptiles. So like, there's that. Mm. There's that. There is that. There is that. There is that. But with all that said, I do think it's a really cool species. Uh, it is also a very good fit for starting off the pretty much pride. So it's very, very cool to have that featured. Well, with our creatures sufficiently featured, let's move into our next segment, which is, of course, current events. So we've had a couple strings of current events now to where we have discussed the piping plovers in Chicago. I did want to just leave a little bit of a note discussing something that CJ brought up from the last episode of season two. There was obviously a moment where in a current event, I discussed Monty and then we had to leave a disclaimer at the front of the episode about Monty and him passing away. And I just wanted to provide just a brief moment just to thank 
Monty and Rose for everything that they've done for the Chicago birding community, the Chicago conservation community. Um, and I didn't want to start the season without recognizing such a huge, huge part of who we've been as a podcast. So um, with all that being said, I just wanted to briefly touch upon it because I was not around to actually record that from the last season. And whilst this scenario is still relatively somber, you know, it's been kind of actually hard to come to terms with the fact that that is a, a saga that has come to a close with the passing of Monty. It's not a saga um, in Chicago that seems to be closing in full. And that's kind of what I wanted to feature today. So as of last week on May 25th on Wednesday, there was actually a memorial held at the Piping Plover rec um, conservation area on the shores of the beach where Monty and Rose could be found. Um, there, like I said, there was a memorial and there was a big group of people who all came out and kind of paid their respects to Monty and Rose, which I wanted to feature in general because it, it is such an important bond that Chicago has had and created with piping plovers and conservation and kind of telling the story of Monty and Rose, you know. So when Monty and Rose came to Chicago in 2019, they were the first breeding pair of piping plovers on the shores of Illinois in over 50 years. And immediately it took the world by storm, right? They popped up and I remember people freaking out that two had popped up in general and then they had kids. And it seemed like the world stopped a little bit. You know, Chicago, we were in the middle of a pandemic and we all had something to look at and to look forward to and to really appreciate, you know, it was a realization that not only was the world still moving as we were all stuck inside, but it was still moving in a way that we could watch and hope and feel joy for the first time in a while. So the community really bonded with them really quickly. They had a clutch. They left that year and everyone waited in anticipation until they came back the next year. And that was when strife kind of started a little bit. So Monty and Rose nested on that same same shoreline. But at the time, there was supposed to be a music festival that was going to be taking place just literally 100 feet, 100, year, 100 yards down the shoreline. And that kind of music, that kind of noise, that kind of traffic would probably have been something that scared those birds away not only for the time being but probably for good piping plovers are very ritualistic they will come back to the same nesting spots over and over and over again as we have seen with monty and rose in chicago and so they had this huge huge discussion about what do we do with this music festival and the music festival too much to the chagrin of some folks was relocated and it really cemented Chicago as a place that was going to prioritize the conservation of a federally endangered species. And it was a beautiful thing to watch the victory of these birds and to watch them repopulate their species and even to watch their young. Um, there was Nish, who one of their chicks, who started the first breeding population on the shores of Ohio near uh, Mommy Bay in over 75 years and it was all linked to these two birds and so this year this past year 2021 they had 
a clutch that was lost to to predation by a skunk, but then they made another nest and they had more. I believe they had two chicks that successfully left. And it's a story that we were able to watch. You know, it spans two documentaries by Bob Dolgan, numerous news articles, everything under the sun. You know, the world was watching Chicago for these two birds. It made national news, not just local news. It made the Chicago Sun, the Chicago Tribune, but it also made Good Morning America, I saw. And these birds were a firestorm when we needed one, especially in Chicago. And I just wanted to point out, like I said, that saga might not be coming to a close because one of Monty and Rose's chicks from years prior, Imani, actually has been at Montrose for a couple days now as of recording. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll stay there. Um, there's, you know, for him to breed there, there needs to be a, a mother who comes as well. And so no one really knows for sure what to make of it yet. But regardless, his presence is a huge sign of the legacy that Montine Rose will have in Chicago, not just for the near future, but I think for a long while. So I just wanted to say a cohesive thank you, Monty and Rose, for bringing Chicago together in a way that I haven't seen in a very, very, very long time. We'll continue to update as this story comes through because clearly it's a story still being written. But regardless, it was important to talk about, especially to start off season three with something that we're all very knowing and passionate about. Thank you, Matt, for, for sharing that. I know it's something that we have talked about. Just We've talked about Monty and Rose for quite a few episodes, and, and it's something that I know all three of us are really, we really care about. And I know I'm far away, and you guys have actually actually seen them in person, but little, little Monty will be greatly missed, and I am looking forward to hearing the updates just because it is sad. But there's, I, I like that there's like a little glimmer of hope with some of their offspring because, and it is while in his little short, short little life, he did get to populate, contribute to his population and make sure that, I mean, he did his job as a bird, right? Yeah, this, th thank you for bringing this up. Um, I was actually, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I was up town this past week while that celebration was happening. But good friend of the podcast and former guest on the podcast, Maggie Warren, went to the celebration, told me all about it. And she actually told me that she signed both hers and my name in the little memorial book for Monty, which was very, very sweet. Last summer, Maggie and I spent many, many days going to visit Monty and Rose. And at the time, they had four chicks. We were there the day the fourth chick hatched. The fourth chick, I believe, was Imani. It was it was a really beautiful Day, beautiful time and you know i think people say this a lot when it comes to loss but it's it's much more difficult but much more rewarding to celebrate the life than it is to mourn the loss so i really appreciate you kind of taking the time to share that with us matthew obviously at the end of the season last year uh, last season had a bit of a rough start with me having to adjust our current event but there is some light at the end of the tunnel which is really beautiful if there's no other thoughts on our current events this week, let's jump into our main topic. Joyce, and love 
Wow, we did it. It's hashtag Pride Month. Yay! Round of applause, Pride Month. Yay! Yay! Very good. In celebration of Pride Month, as we've done the past year, uh, we did it last year, and we're going to do it again this year. We're doing a whole four-episode powerhouse extravaganza Pride Spectacular featured all around Pride and the celebration of the LGBTQIA plus community as it comes to nature. And what does that mean? Well, that's a great question. Humans are come in a lot of different variations, right? People can be heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, any other kind of sexuality. And humans can also be different genders. Humans can be cisgender, transgender, non-binary, and anything else in between. And the really cool thing is that animals can too, and we don't talk about it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about animals who kind of exist beyond our general expectations of gender and sexuality. And what does that mean? And how can we kind of explore and learn more about that? To start us off this week, I'm actually going to start us off with a creature that we all may be pretty familiar with if you've been to a farm before. So an animal that is surprisingly more queer than you might think is in fact the domestic sheep it's it's kind of crazy to think that such a common animal like the domestic sheep would be as queer as it is but they they truly are quite queer and really no one knows exactly why this happens as much as it does a, a good percentage of male domestic sheep or rams are either bisexual or homosexual. So that means they're either interested in both males and females, or they're exclusively interested in males. And that percentage, like I said, pretty significant. It's about 30 to 40%, which is pretty considered pretty considered big. And it's an even bigger percentage of like 15%-ish are exclusively homosexual, which is really, really interesting. And scientists are kind of conducting experiments to see why this is happening so much to figure out like why this you know why this continues to happen and is there a reason for it and nobody really knows a study done in 2002 suggests that it is actually biological so it's not a Oh, this this sheep chose to be gay. It's actually they are just born that way. It's in their DNA that is a gay sheep. It's uh, it's really interesting because parts of their brain are, are known to release different like sexual hormones, and for these sheep, they are like releasing it exclusively you know when they're attracted to male sheep. It's really weird that we don't know why. This happens, but it's really cool to know that queerness exists in nature naturally. So, of course, it exists in people naturally as well. I love that there is a study done 
to and then for like that to just be like yeah it's natural and i i can make a lot of statements right now yeah, um the, the study was done out of not i mean in in, re, in reading the scientific article of like mm -hmm. the publication it doesn't seem like it was done with the best intentions it seems like they the goal was to like breed it out and they couldn't do it <laughs> which i thought was incredible uh well that that's unfortunate that that's that was the reason i think it's also a even better f you uh <laughs> to to for the the result to be like it's just a natural phenomenon and like this is i, I we use animals as case studies all the time for other research done for humans. I mean, I think this should just be a conclusion that it's natural for me, for, for humans as well. There's a study done, boom, science. Well, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I actually didn't know that about sheep. All right, so the next animal that we're gonna talk about is the marsh harrier. And so these are birds obviously um but we're going to talk a little bit about their plumage because it is very it is technically supposed to be sexually dimorphic however um birds have been seen to flip flop their what their plumage is that's supposed to be associated with their sex and so so for for example um Males are supposed to be brown with um, like a cream colored head um, and they're supposed to have um, some gray on their feather, like on the feathers of their wings and on their tail. Um, however, there have been lots of studies done um, specifically in France where um, they had to stop using that specific criteria because there were a lot of male birds that had female like plumage so they didn't have that gray um coloration and things like that so they couldn't use that deter deter to determine sex um there were also um birds within this study that were um female however they were larger on average like than what the average female marsh harrier is supposed to be um and they at the end of this had basically concluded that males were making themselves look more like female birds because it was better to look more like a female than to basically get yeeted by bigger males more dominant males so like you'd have two two males that look like males fighting with each other for a female while the male that looks like a female is off with the lady and then on the other end of that spectrum females were um reportedly a lot larger to make themselves look more like males so they didn't have to deal with male birds basically um but i thought that was just really really fun and interesting um that these birds basically kind of swap the way that they look based on what they they needed to stay safe and, and to survive and whatever so kind of sexually dimorphic but not really 
Thanks for featuring that, Brittany. I love birds, so I love hearing about birds. And bird plumage is really fascinating of a topic because there is sometimes no rhyme or reason to it. And that's what I love about it is you can attribute some random, you know, you can try and make constructs from it. It won't work. Birds do not care. They work for the bourgeoisie. They don't give a crap about your preconceived notions on gender and sexuality. So for my first species, it's actually more of like a genus. Um, uh, specifically the Ambistoma salamanders. It is a group of salamanders. You can find them throughout the United States, genus Ambistoma. But it is really interesting because their form of reproduction is one that I stumbled upon very recently, and I was wildly fascinated by it. And it's a form called kleptogenesis. Now, you may have heard the, that kind of prefix klepto before, specifically in reference to a type of person known as a kleptomaniac. And a, a kleptomaniac is basically someone who is addicted to thievery, addicted to stealing. And these salamanders actually kind of, um, they steal reproductive material. I don't know what to say. It's a very interesting form of reproduction that I never heard of before, like I said. So these salamanders, first of all, are all female and that's really first of all very important and they've been known for being like an only female lineage of salamanders for quite some time right and that alone kind of pings question marks as to how are they reproducing right they are a sexually reproducing organism they have the same genes you know the same recombination that most animals do there's a very rarely do you find animals that can reproduce asexually um, in the concept that we think about it when it comes to bacteria where they just like, boom, split in half kind of thing. Animals don't do that. They don't just split in half. There needs to be some form of stuff that goes on. So what these salamanders do in order to reproduce is salamanders in general will leave parcels of sperm packets basically they will leave them around and then the females can go ahead and choose the packets um and kind of find them i guess and fertilize the eggs it's very bizarre in general but this species in particular pull in and like steal random assortments of parcels of other species and just kind of pick and choose the genes of which they want from each one. It is the most bizarre thing I have ever heard of. It's very fascinating because literally it, it really kind of, it's the only species that does this that we know of. And it kind of throws everything on its side to, to where if you have a surplus of genes, you can just go and recombine whatever you want. Like, it is incredibly fascinating of a way to where we can, we, we can't even fathom like that. Like, the, the amount of work that's been done trying to get a grasp on what these salamanders do, they will you know doing analysis of the dna of this species of salamander showed that there was 
DNA taken from males of other species, of up to three other species, that was all recombined in a way that then was able to fertilize their eggs. And so it's like hybridized, but not because like it's a female only lineage. So technically they're able to kind of choose whatever the heck they want. Like it is an incredibly interesting flexibility as far as DNA and genomes go. And so it's really, really, really fascinating to look at this unisexual um, lineage of salamanders in a way that they are breaking every single norm that we think about when we talk about reproduction, especially in the animal kingdom. It is fascinating and will never fully be grasped, but definitely needs to be looked at a lot because that is something that to understand that would be incredibly fascinating. I think that is super fascinating. I love that like so far we've literally picked a mammal, a bird, and an amphibian because um, it's literally just like all across the board. And I also um, love that nobody picks the thing that you would have thought they would have picked. Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> in not one spot. You would think CJ would pick the amphibian, Brittany would pick the mammal, and I would pick the bird. But no. We are breaking norms as the Birdie Bunch podcast as well this season. Wow. Look at that. Changing things up. Not for long. Although I really don't want to be the mammal person, even though my next one is also a mammal. Oh, oh no. no. See, my next one's the bird, so I have to re uh, myself. Tragic. Mine is tragic. also a mammal. <laughs> oh, come on. The mammal bias. I appreciate you bringing the fib content, Matthew. I appreciate uh, you the know fib what? content. I'm always good for a good fib. Love the fib. Mm-hmm. All right, so the next animal that we've got is, um, like I said, it's a mammal. Um, it's actually the Japanese macaque. Um, specifically, we're going to kind of focus a little bit on the female uh, Japanese macaques. And that's because th while both male and female macaques will engage in homosexual behavior female macaques prefer to um, have homosexual relationships so they will they this study was done and female macaques uh would when given the option to either have a female partner or a male partner they chose a female partner which like you know, fair enough. Well, a oh man, no. Um, anyway, Adam. <laughs> um, however, um, so they the way that this um this study had basically talked about it, it says intersexual competition for female sexual partners happened quite a bit with this species and actually a number of other species as well. And so males weren't just having to compete with other males. They actually had to, to compete with females for um, a partner because females, yeah, they, they were picking other females. Um, but it was, the study was done, um, it was basically a 20 year program of research. Um, for this species and basically at the end of the study the the scientists made 
other observations that the Japanese macaques weren't the only um, species that had this intersexual competition for female sexual partners. They said that it's observed in a number of other species and they incited including humans. Um, so they kind of used the Japanese macaque as a as a comparison to homosexuality in, in humans as well um and the competition because they they said they couldn't make any comments necessarily on how that impacted reproduction just that impacted competition um which i found super fascinating again just like when we were talking about with the ram it's just natural baby well it seems like we came back to mammals so you know we may not be actually breaking norms uh britney back on her mammal grind but I'm going to continue with that lack of breaking norms because I am now going to bring forth the bird. So realistically, that was a very temporary thing uh, for the Brady Bunch podcast. We are now back to maybe 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 we'll continue it later. But as of now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're not for now. We're back to your regularly scheduled Brady Bunch podcast content. And I wanted to talk specifically about two birds. We've talked a lot about how water birds, you know, ducks, geese, and swans. We've mentioned them before in the podcast in this realm as far as birdie bunch pride goes that has been a topic of conversation before and specifically swans if i'm not mistaken i want to harken back to a long time ago and ask my good friend and co-host cj if that has happened conversation wise before if you remember Swan. swans swans have been mentioned in this topic before i don't think in terms of this context specifically we've talked about swans being menaces but never specifically yes, we have gay menaces. talked about swans being menaces and Thank you for at not, Iowa State uh, University, we can actually talk about gay medicine. <laughs> but at Iowa State University in Iowa, near Des Moines, you can actually find a pair of gay swans. Now, in the history of Iowa State University, there has been, there's a lake there called Lake Laverne. It was built in 1910. So it's a very, very old lake. And there has been a lot of, stocking with swans species being mute swans now if you're not heard you know if you're not acquainted with mute swans they're actually a non-native species of swine to the united states they are usually the domestic variety that you see they're the big ones with the orange bills they're very beautiful birds and fun fact about them in the uk the queen technically owns every single mute swan that can be found there really weird don't know how that happens but regardless that is who we are talking about so swans for the most part these species generally mate for life and yada 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 you know mute swans kind of do kind of don't sometimes you know it's a whole thing but there were two swans that are at iowa state university named lancelot and elaine and what's interesting about lancelot and elaine is that they have been long established within Iowa State University, going back all the way to like the early-ish 1900s. Um, and Lancelot and Elaine have historically been male-female pairings. They've always had Lancelot, the male, and Elaine, the female. And sometimes they've had signets, specifically in 1944, 1970, and 1971, there were actual baby swans that were born from Lancelot and Elaine. And so you're probably asking, Matt, why are you bringing up gay swans right now? 
these swans aren't gay. There was a male and female, Lancelot and Elaine. Well, 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 dear listener. The most recent addition of Lancelot and Elaine, because these are actually birds that are put in there by the university, right? To make the make it nice and fresh, you know, they're technically captive air quote birds. Like it's a weird intertidal zone between captive and wild and you know all that. But the ones that were added in 2003, the mute swans, they are actually both female. Lancelot and Elaine are both female. And they are still a paired couple. And they are still known as Lancelot and Elaine, the couple, except they are now known as Lancelot and Elaine, the gay couple, because Iowa State University is very much on the forefront of not only agricultural sciences, but also conservation sciences. And so when they put in Lancelot and Elaine, they wanted to avoid bringing forth potentially an issue to where native trumpeter swans, tundra swans, you know, actual swans that are supposed to be found in the United States, they didn't want to have Lancelot and Elaine breeding and technically taking over the population and having mute swans encroach upon those native species. Mute swans have actually been a problem with that in the past. They're larger, they're more aggressive than the native counterparts, as you usually see with invasive species. And whilst they haven't really taken off as invasive species a ton, it is still really, really important to make sure that we preserve those native species populations. And so because of that, Iowa State University said, hey, let's put in two female swans. And they've coupled up. They're happy. They're healthy. They've been in there since 2003. They can live up to 20 years in the wild or up to 40 in captivity. You'll probably get somewhere between that with these birds because they're both wild and captive at the same time. But because of that, it's really cool to see a gay pairing of swans really putting forth the good fight for preserving tundra and trumpeter swan populations. And it's a really interesting dichotomy and look into how the history of the place has changed, but also they've kept the tradition. It's a really bizarre look into human interactions with the wild and what it means to interact with that on a less binary, less strict level. It's very interesting. Question for you, Matthew. Have they actually like coupled up or they've just been like forced together? Um, they have coupled up. Fascinating. I love that. <laughs> it's really, it's really truly interesting. It is very, very maybe it's because they just couldn't lean. They're like, ah, you know what? You're fine. You're cool, I guess. But like, yeah, they are like a pairing of swans. I love that. Love to see it. Love to hear it. The last queer animal that we're going to be discussing in this episode specifically is going to be the spotted hyena. Now, have either of you ever heard of like why spotted hyenas can be considered like a queer animal? Before? I have, but I'm more curious as to what we called them before we spotted them. Very good. Was it just the hyena? Or it was like, just the happened? hyena, actually. Just the hyena. This and actually like, does oh! apply to all species of hyena, the yeah. the, the facts. Yeah. But oh, I was I just going to talk specifically about spotted hyenas. I spotted the hyena, and they were like, yes. And it was like spotted hyena. Perfect. Nice. And not to mention that goofy spotted owl. Anyways, back to your regularly scheduled non-bat-related content. Brittany, have you heard what makes hyenas queer? I have not, and I'm really curious. I've seen hyenas out in the wild, and they're terrifying. So 
um, I would like a, a reason why they're queer so I can just picture them fabulously going. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to catch hyenas with with a, with a, with that little lumpress. I don't know if you're going to catch them doing that. But you might catch female hyenas mounting males because female hyenas actually have a higher amount of testosterone than male hyenas do, which in turn produces a pseudo penis. I'm here for it. It's really interesting because it's not just the anatomy alone that makes these animals queer. It's one, their behaviors. They behave in a lot of different ways that i'll get into and two it is their biology their biology is actively <laughs> gender queer which is really really interesting so how it works uh for spotted hyenas specifically is that high amount of testosterone actually makes the females <laughs> organs grow as long as a male's organs and it's very interesting because it's both used for urination, you know, and also for reproduction. So, do they do they create their own reproductive juices? I, I don't know how to answer that. In an appropriate <laughs> you have to manner. call it juice. What the hell? <laughs> juice I drank the word. orange juice this morning. What the juice hell was the would word you that call got it me? That I need for? you to know. Juice was, in fact, the word. I was that like, was I don't. That's the point. <laughs> um, do they, well, okay. So can they? So then I'll phrase it this way: Can can females use that like reproductive organ in the same way that males can, where it, where it'll produce an offspring? Oh, look so, at that! A way to phrase no, that question. No, without it's not like it. Matt. Like, what'd you say, Matt? Look at that. A way to phrase that question without making Matt gag at the thought of drinking juice this morning. <laughs> Phenomenal. So no, no, not exactly. They're they're not gonna be doing that. But basically it's it's so interesting because <laughs> the female hyenas basically after uh coitus. What happens is once they're pregnant and they try to give birth through this enlarged organ that for other animals is not like that, it can actually tear <laughs> in sense, get infected. To be fair, same in human birth. Yeah, so it, it leads to a lot of females actually dying when, when they when they give birth, which is kind of brutal. And as as you mentioned, it does happen a lot with women, like human women as well. And if we didn't have our incredible medical care that we do, we would lose a lot of women in childbirth. But the way that spider hyenas are described kind of gives us the feeling that like something is like amiss, and it really continues to perpetuate this terrible reputation that hyenas have for not being great animals. But they are just one of millions of different species that are slightly different from our expectations and should not be penalized for that because they are abnormal because they don't fit into our, what our ideology is. They are doing something really, really beautiful and evolution has worked to where they are continuing to thrive as a species, regardless of their different or abnormal genitalia or biology or behavior. Homosexuality 
in nature is way more common than you might think. Over 1,500 species of animals behave in some manner that can be described as homosexual. Even more animals than that have variation beyond the gender binary, like the hyena here. But there is only one species that is homophobic. This is the reason why we need to be more inclusive of different ideologies and ones that maybe we are, nor we are normally adjusted to because everyone and everything has a different way of living than we do. And it's really exciting for us to learn all about that, especially during Pride Month when we can celebrate all these beautiful identities. Any other thoughts before we wrap up our first episode of our hashtag Pride Month? I just want to say I think it's really important to highlight how incredibly diverse the world is because it's always a a huge shock for some reason when people look at the natural world and see how little it interacts with our societal norms. Not even, you know, not even just in this concept, right? Like if you talk to anyone about taxonomy, holy God, taxonomy is awful because we have 46 or whatever different species concepts, none of which actual animals follow. Even the biological species concept, which is the most accepted, does not. <laughs> the reason we have so many is because depending on what different criteria you place, things will break rules all the time. So. Maybe it's about time we just stop trying to force everything to adhere to rules. And that includes gender constructs and looking at the world in the way that humans look at the world. Or maybe it also means looking at the world and realizing that the world is a much more accepting and open place than the one we've created for ourselves. So I think it's really important to discuss these topics because it is natural. It is nature. We are nature. We parts of nature. It flows through us every single day. So get with the program, folks. Get jiggy with it, because you probably should. Well, thank you for that. It's It's been really fun to kind of spearhead the hashtag Pride Month of the Birdie Bunch podcast, and I'm really excited to continue that uh, the next couple of weeks. So keep your ears up, folks, because there are three more episodes of the Birdie Bunch hashtag Pride after this week. So get ready for that. But for now, let's transition into our outro. Where can y'all be found on the social meds? You can find me on the Instagram at the Brittany underscore bunch, T-H-E-B as in boy, R-I-T-T-A-N-Y underscore B-U-N-C-H. Um, I'm going to start off without bullying Matt this episode. Um, don't get used to it, Matthew. Um, I post really irregularly, but, but I've got some fun, exciting things happening, um, like my new cat and things like that. So yeah, that's where you can find me. And you can find me on Instagram at Matt Valiga. That is M-A-T-T-V as in very concerned that Brittany is already thinking about bullying me, A-L-I-G-A. Not really posting much, um, just very busy, but I would like to get some stuff up there soon. So more often than not, just check my story. That's where stuff will be, but hopefully soon. And you can find me on the social media on Instagram as well at cj.greco. That's cj.greco. 
And I'm going to be posting lots of uh, Georgia, South Carolina content, as well as some Pride Month content. So keep an eye out for all of that. You can find us all collectively at the Brady Bunch Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and on Instagram and Facebook, as well as on our website, thebradybunchpodcast.com. That's thebradybunchpodcast.com. When you visit our website, you'll find lots of really amazing things, such as blog posts with resources for our episodes, our merch store, which, like I mentioned, our merch store, we have another discount code going on right now. If you use the, the discount code PRIDE, P-R-I-D-E, you get 15% off everything in the store. So head to our store to get some really amazing stuff. We have some really cool Pride merch coming back. So get on that. And... Also on our website, you can find our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Birdie Bunch Podcast, or you can find it on our website, thebirdiebunchpodcast.com. Much easier to go to patreon.com slash the Birdie Bunch Podcast. And we have some really incredible tiers of support. We have just a general tier of support where you get an awesome shout out here on the podcast. We have another tier of support where you get the behind the scenes footage of us recording and the unedited version of the podcast. As well as another tier of support, we actually get a bonus episode of the Brady Bunch podcast every single month. So please head to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the Brady Bunch podcast. We'd actually like to thank one of our patrons, Gabe Anderley. So thank you so much, Gabe, for supporting us on Patreon. And uh, thanks for catching up with me while I was in Atlanta. In addition, you can also support us in other ways as well. If you can't support us financially, totally understandable. Sometimes I can't support us financially. But what you can do instead is you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read out your review here on the podcast. So leave us a review. Five stars or above, please. That's that's my request. You can leave like genuine comments like, I don't really like you guys, but just leave it as five stars. That That's what I would appreciate. But if you're not down with the Apple Podcast sickness, then you can also just share this podcast with a friend. So I actually am going to do that right now. I'm going to reach out to my good friend, Brittany Basletta-Wendowski. Brittany, can I ask you a question? Yes. Are you looking for a new podcast to listen to? I am, actually. Would you be interested in a podcast that talks everything conservation, education, fascination? Um, you had me at conservation, education. That's okay. Hey, Matt, are you looking for a new <laughs> podcast? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> i got a podcast direct for you both it's actually called the birdie bunch podcast that's really cool that I, sounds I really so hope, cool i really hope this podcast is fascinating i wouldn't want to be listening to a podcast just about conservation and education i'm cutting that out yeah i know <laughs> you had me at conservation education <laughs> I'm gonna not bully man. But I wasn't doing it that to bully you. Oh, I just thought well, it was funny. So this is funny then. Awkward. <laughs> well, anyway, if you want to turn on your friends, funny. just like my friends here, you can listen to the Birdie Bunch Podcast at thebirdiebunchpodcast.com or on Instagram with the Birdie Bunch Podcast, or you can visit our Patreon, patreon.com/slash the Birdie Bunch Podcast. Thank you all for supporting the Brady Bunch podcast as we go into season three. This is going to be an amazing season. There's amazing stuff coming up. Pride Month is going to be spectacular this year. So please keep listening. You are our love. You are our lifeblood. We appreciate you so, so much. With all of that out of the way, let's get into it. And by that, I mean, we'll catch you next time.
you are our love and our life. <laughs> Absolutely, you are. Absolutely, you it's are. Like a song by Chicago. It's like, you are our love. <laughs> Absolutely, like, you are. Thanks so much, all you nature lovers, for listening to yet another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would especially like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our art for our episodes, as well as Connor Whitman for producing our music. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.